snippets of timeless classics with ramblings on everything bookish, Ink and Quill connects you with literature, culture and writers in China and around the globe. Discovering literature and following stories behind your favorite authors. This is Ink and Quill. I'm your host Yang Yong right here in Beijing. Since the day of its birth, comics, otherwise known as picture stories, have been commonly regarded as a lower form of art. In the eyes of the masses, this combination of images and texts is either a pastime reading for young children or a gateway drug for hardcore nerds. But Li Kunwu, a multi-award-winning Chinese artist, has proved that comics could mean some serious business. So, in today's program, let's follow Wang Lei to meet this extraordinary painter to unfold how his black and white graphics bring tangled and dry history back to life. Who is your favorite comic hero? The adventurous boy scout-like Tintin, or your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? But in most of the works produced by the Chinese cartoonist Li Kunwu, the hero, or put it more accurately, the protagonist, is always the 61-year-old himself. Since I was around five or six years old, I loved drawing comic diaries. Years later, I created a series of books that introduced the landscape and customs of Yunnan province, which are autobiographical as well. So gradually, I have taken this road. Growing up in Kunming, the provincial city of southwest China's Yunnan province, Li was a born caricaturist, as pictures had always been his way of communication. As a boy, instead of talking out loud, he would always prefer leaving a brief note with cartoon images on it. However, like many people of his generation, Li Kunwu didn't pursue his passion by enrolling in university. Instead, the self-taught doodler joined the army. Discharged in 1987, he became an art editor for a local newspaper. However, the restless young man was not content with waiting for the muse to knock at the door. In my younger days, I rode my bicycle alone to travel around Yunnan. My footsteps were left in nearly every county of this province. Those trips not only helped me gather drawing materials, but also sharpened my skills. More importantly, they cultivated a tenacious spirit. Using Li Xiaowu as his alias in the comic strips, the budding artist started to transform what he had witnessed to palette and paper, having a knack for putting personal experiences. Funny gags and catchy rhymes together, this Yunnan native has tantalized his readers with the unparalleled culture and landscape of his hometown. One of his comic books, Eighteen Oddities to Savor My Homeland, or known as Yunnan Shiba Guai in Chinese, reflects 18 peculiar customs he found in Yunnan and had been reprinted eight times in just two years. But what really elevates Li Kunwu to international fame is his illustrated memoir, A Chinese Life, or in Chinese, 从小李到老李,一个中国人的一生, which is the result of collaboration between him and French writer diplomat Philippe Autier. 
We met each other in May 2005 and started to work together on a story about Italian traveler Marco Polo. Then in October, both of us were invited to a Sino-French comic exchange event held in Beijing. There, we gave our script to the editor-in-chief from the French media group Media Participants. He said that the draft about Marco Polo is good, but not outstanding enough. So why not produce a story about myself, since my life experience sounds quite interesting? But the teamwork had a rough start, as the two creators hardly reached a consensus in terms of drawing style and storytelling technique. Ten years ago, my mindset was all about the classic Chinese comic strip style, which means the detachment of image and text. But Western cartoonists employ cinematic narratives to tell their stories, so I had to change. But the switch was really difficult for me, since by then I was already in my fifties. Fortunately. OTA helped me a lot in this regard. He reminded me to pay extra attention to details and emotions, which helped me to create an appealing and authentic story. Stumbling over this co-production for years, by the end of 2010, Li Kunwu and his co-author Philip OTA finally published their three-volume tome, A Chinese Life. In the course of almost 700 pages, the illustrator leads us to trace a compelling personal odyssey. From his bumpy childhood as a survivor of the Great Famine in the late 1950s, the collective paranoia during the Cultural Revolution, to the age of reform and opening up when money starts to talk, the story tries to explore how an average man was shaped against the backdrop of the ever-changing China. Simultaneously cunning, meticulous, emotional, yet hard-headed, this book is undoubtedly personal. While at the same time, it also provides something deeper—a graphic chronicle of how modern China came into being in the last six decades. Since serialized, *A Chinese Life* has received overwhelming critical acclaim. Published in 13 languages, the comic book was shortlisted for the 2010 Angoulême International Comics Festival. Some critics even praise that this comic memoir is reminiscent of Chinese film director Zhang Yimou's movie *To Live* or George Orwell's *1984*. The mind-boggling popularity delivers a surprise for the man behind this masterpiece. It's kind of weird, or more accurately, it's pretty rare to see people from different cultures and backgrounds all accept this book. Then I realized that most of the publications about China in foreign countries are either extremely negative, which emphasize the problems of this country, or purely propaganda that boasts China's history and achievements. But there are few all-sided and detailed presentations of this country. So maybe my book fills the void, telling the history from the perspective of a nobody. It provides a natural attitude and a sense of authenticity that everyone could identify with. 
The skyrocketing success of the saga A Chinese Life seemed to spur Li Kuan-Wu's interest in heavy and critical subjects. In the next few years, the artist produced several history-bound comics, including Chunxiu, a life story of his nanny who witnessed all those cataclysmic years in the early 20th century, and Railway Above the Clouds, an epic reflection of how a French engineer helped to build China's oldest meter-gauge railroad. But among all his recent works, The Scars, also known as Shanghen in Chinese, is probably the most remarkable one. Narrated in a documentary manner, the book showcases how Li accidentally sought out a gamut of rare old photos that were taken by Japanese reporters during the Second World War. As many untold aspects of the past were unveiled, he also discovers an old scar of his own family. When being asked why his comics always adhere to the vicissitudes of times, Li Kunwu replies, Before, I drew for fun, I drew to keep track of my family life, but gradually it has become a duty. However, in 2015, this prolific cartoonist took a shocking turn by publishing a comic book about ghosts and the afterlife. Named as Huanjing Sanriyu, or translated to three-day tour in the netherworld in English, this humorous and quick-packed travelogue pokes fun at pop culture, famous literary characters, and social issues without losing a satirical touch. Following our good-natured, chatty main character, which means the artist himself, readers not only get a good laugh thanks to all the ridiculousness and resemblance between worldly life and hell, but could also get inspired. Most of the time travel-themed dramas provide audience an intense and twisted experience. I want to bring these elements to my work as well. But at the same time, I hope I could bring up something different, something that could make my readers ponder about. Now in his early 60s, Li Kuan-Wu is still active in drawing comics. Borrowing cinematic narrative from his Western counterparts and combining storyboards with traditional Chinese wash painting, this multi-talented illustrator uses his blazing display of bravura to all fans worldwide. But according to him, it will still take some time for his works to be well received in homeland. Chinese people are not used to this kind of reading mode, since my style is a little bit westernized. The traditional Chinese comics used to be one picture that occupies a full page. Then Japanese manga got introduced to China and shifted people's perception about comics. For many Chinese people, especially the older generation, comic books are just for children. They don't know comics could tell serious, in-depth stories. Maybe 10 or 20 years later, when the younger generation grows up, they will start to appreciate comics as a form of art. But the artist is by no means giving up. My next step is to finish a series called Our Generation. Unlike a Chinese life that focuses on the fate of one individual, this one will feature our whole generation. When the whole population in China was around 650 million at the end of 1950s, we only accounted for a small percent. But our fates are the epitomes of the whole nation. That was Wang Lei who introduced us to the renowned Chinese cartoonist Li Kun Wu. If you haven't heard enough from the comic scene in China, don't worry, 
Next, our reporters Shi Yu and Sam are going to talk about the recently concluded Beijing Comic Convention and beyond. So stick around. How to adapt a thriller into a movie? What is your favorite toilet reading? And when to give up on paperback? Want to know the answers? Join our discussion about all the trendiest topics on Ink and Quill. Hello, guys. Welcome to this edition of Book Chat. I'm Shi Yu, and here with me in the studio is our geek culture expert, Sam. Hey, Shi Yu. It's me, Sam. Um, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm really excited. We're going to be talking about the Beijing Comic Con convention, right? Absolutely, because it was the very first time that Comic Con, which has been this huge gathering for American comic lovers, landed in Chinese capital. So we got all the latest advancements in comics, manga, as well as pop culture last week. That's really big news. I mean, Comic Con, for those who don't know, has been massive in the United States for years now, and there's such a big fan base of comic books and manga. There's such a great, for lack of a better word, a great geek culture in China that you just look at it and you think, "Wow, Beijing and China are finally getting the Comic Con that they really do deserve." Yeah, I was there and very excited to meet my fellow Trekkies. Of course, we got a huge amount of comics books from Marvel and DC, but I also noticed something a little bit strange. Since Asian comics—I mean, not just South Korean ones or Japanese manga, but Chinese comics—had a really strong presence this time. Well, you say strange. I think it's completely wonderful, and here's why. Comic Con obviously is a business. Yeah. They're looking to promote what they think is going to make the most money.、Mm-hmm. Now, in a country like the U.S., the biggest money maker for comic book companies、mm-hmm. are the big Hollywood blockbuster films. China, on the other hand, is a really unique market because they are such big fans of so many different types of comics. Now, we all go to watch the big comic book films.、Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as any good comic book geek in China will tell you, there are hundreds of thousands of people going online, and they're reading the Japanese comics. They're reading Naruto. They're reading、yeah. One Piece. They're reading Bleach. And you see that there's a there are two very different cultures of comics here that are both enjoyed in different ways in China. Yeah. And then you've got your own domestic stuff as well. I mean, I haven't even really seen that much in terms of a、uh, Chinese domestic comics. I, I said to you yesterday, the only one that I've really seen is a、uh, Dash and Guai Lai, the Monkey King, King Returns, Returns. <laughs> which isn't a real comic even. <laughs> You really need to update your Chinese comic database. But anyway, before I went to this Beijing Comic Con, I expect a mass of visitors. When I got there on the second day, the atmosphere was really good. But still, since the convention mainly focused on American comics, judged by the attendance. I think it was still a small community. I think so. Japanese comics, partly because of the geographical location, partly because of the similarity in languages, and you have a lot of good, proficient Japanese speakers coming out of China.、Mm-hmm. For, for a multitude of reasons, Japanese comics are really popular here. You look at the style of Japanese comics, and they have grown in popularity in the United States. But I think because of similar cultural backgrounds,、yeah. the the Chinese market they just 
get Japanese comics. A lot of the references made in them、mm-hmm. are also references to Chinese history. I see. I think maybe to a certain scale, Chinese people feel more related to the characters in Japanese manga. However, Marvel and DC are providing something a little bit exotic. Oh, of course. When you, when you look at DC characters, a lot of them are representing values that are really popular among American fans,、mm-hmm. and that's that's different from Chinese mythology, obviously, which、yeah. is what's seen more in Japanese comics. And just a great example, I'm thinking. Superman, he's a great role model for for the American audience, and I think because of the relationship between China and America and the popularity of American media in China, they understand that. I don't want to say he's got as much appeal as the Japanese comics, but he's got his own market here as well. I think that's the reason why at this Comic Con they invited Brandon Rouse, the guy who played Superman in that Superman Returns movie, as well as Ming Na Wen, who stars in Agents of Shield. Well, it's great as well because the actress you just mentioned, Agents of Shield, she's actually an Asian-born American,、yeah. and she's um she's relatable to the Chinese audience because of、mm-hmm. her you know of her look, but also she's got a very Amer- she's got quite she's got I think she's got an American personality. She's a great embodiment of two cultures, which means people like her、yeah. are a great bridge for American comics and a Chinese audience. And you've got people like that working in the comic book industry, where their their roots can date back to China and the U.S.,、mm-hmm. and they work as great bridges for American comics to expand in China and maybe one day vice versa, and having Chinese comics showing popularity abroad. Well, maybe one day they will land well in the American market. You know, at the mention of comics, there were many books posters sold on the spot. But the sad thing is, many people just look around. They came to Comic Con for the sake of superhero movies, and they have limited knowledge about the original books. I don't know why. Maybe there's some problem with the lack of translation. The language barrier is huge, and we talked a bit before. About the cultural differences between Japan and China,、mm-hmm. and language and culture are two big parts of reading comics because they have to relate to you,、yeah. and that's my key argument for why manga does so well with a Chinese audience. If you're not translating the comics into Chinese, and not just translating the words, but putting it into a context in which the audience is going to understand, it's going to be very difficult. For people to really get why these heroes are so great, it's their integrity, it's their personality,、yeah. and if they don't understand that, it loses appeal. And there needs to be more work done in that area. But there's still some good news. I hear some Chinese publishers are going to translate Constantine to Chinese. So sad you couldn't make it this time. I don't know about that. I I did read that they had a、uh, Street Fighter Five video game competition at the、yeah. Beijing Comic Con. Street Fighter is taking off in popularity. My biggest regret is that if I had gone to the Comic Con in Beijing, I probably could have been a participant and embarrassed myself. Or maybe But, win. Or、fight. maybe even win. But I will, alas, I will have to wait until the next Comic Con or the next big competition to get my chance to show off. Well, we will see next year. Thank you, Sam, for joining me in today's book chat. That were Shiru and Sam discussing Comic Con in Beijing and the future of comic culture in China. It's time to take a break. You are listening to Ink and Quill with Yang Yong. Coming up is our usual book review segment. Upon the arrival of Father's Day, our reporter will explore the father and son relationship. So please stay tuned. <music> 
bestseller, smash hit, page turner. Ink and Quill delves into the very heart of the works that make us laugh, cry and sigh. Father is the man who guides and inspires us to become secure adults, the rock-like figure we always go to with every problem. But one day, when his life ebbs away, what should we do, and how will we evaluate our relationship with our fathers? To find our answers, Liu Ming will introduce us to Taiwan writer Zhang Dachuan's book as one family, or in Chinese, Lin Ting Fu Qing. If time is a book, 1997 is no doubt a page of great importance. Financial crisis hit many Asian countries. Spacecraft Pathfinder landed on Mars, while the death of Princess Diana was mourned worldwide. But for acclaimed Taiwanese writer Zhang Dachuan, 1997 was the year basing in both great joy and profound sadness, as a fall paralyzed his father, and Zhang himself. Was ready to embrace fatherhood. Facing the elapsed and continuity of life, Zhang put pen to paper. By talking with his moribund father, the author got closer to the man who gave him life. Meanwhile, he reflected the past of his family, a family experienced the dynamics of modern China and drifted from the mainland to Taiwan. 1988, in 1988, I first came to Beijing and then stayed in my hometown Shandong Province for a few days. At that time, my relatives were still alive. Since I spoke in Shandong dialect, they told me, "You don't sound like a guest from a distant land. You sound like someone who hasn't been home for a long time." But for me, that emotion is something deposited by time. I wrote as one family in 2003. I spent 15 years to understand my father's nostalgia and reminiscence. Titled "Lin Ting Fu Qing," which literally means "Listen to Father" in Chinese, as one family is neither an essay collection or novel. Rather, it is a family tale told from a bedridden man to his son, and then rephrased to the unborn grandchild. From Zhang's great-great-grandfather, an unsophisticated intellectual dream about elevating his family to the rank of gentry, to his grandmother who gave birth under the bombs of Japanese troops, the book traces back a family history of five generations and plays up a piece of music full of sharps and flats. Compared with other Chinese writers such as Ba Jin and Lao She, who are well known for their descriptions of family chronicles, Zhang Dachun gives a full account of his family in a more unadorned and less judgmental tone, written in a restrained yet perceptual manner. The award-winning author babbles about the anecdotes of his forefathers and documents their fortunes and misfortunes with tenderness, affection, and respect. Though readers may question the authenticity of those stories, writer Chiu Wei gives out her opinion. As one family gives you a strong immersive experience, when Zhang describes his forefathers, those details seem to bring you back to his hometown in Shandong and make you feel like standing next to those people. Actually, I think creativity and imagination are exactly the reasons that make the book stand out.
but in the eyes of book critic Su Xiaohe, as one family is not just a memoir dedicated to one's father, but to showcase something more profound. Da Chun is good at presenting a grand, powerful theme by telling an incident or a family history, with chapters such as "Where do I come from? Where do I go? And who am I?" Zhang raises some everlasting questions of the human race. With a humble, subtle foothold, Zhang Dachun reaches for something far-reaching, and tries to showcase a sense of destiny. Once published, as one family has received much acclaim and commended by Chinese Nobel laureate Mo Yan for its concise language and modernity. However, facing the overwhelming praise, the author appears to be indifferent and even a little bit unsatisfied. A writer always feels powerless because, regardless if the book sells well or not, compared with real life, the words we create are too insignificant, feeble, and brittle. They are merely fragile fragments. The sequel of S1 Family is named "Know a Few Words," which is dedicated to Zhang's children. Thank you, Liu Ming, for introducing us to such an enlightening book as One Family. So, dear listeners, as Father's Day is on the horizon, don't forget to celebrate this special occasion with your loved ones. Okay, now it's time to wrap up today's program. Don't forget that there are always more interesting happenings in the literary world. To learn more about us, you are always welcome to follow our Facebook account, China Plus. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Yang Yong. Goodbye. <laughs>